0: Thanks Jim for joining me here on The Little Things First podcast where little things make a big difference in education and we're having an open conversation today just talking about rigor. Rigor in the classroom and how rigor plays a role in the work that we do with kids. So we came up with this conversation cuz I said to Jim, "Jim, how do we raise rigor in the classroom? Everything else seems to be going pretty well for a teacher Kids are behaving, they're working when it's math, they're doing the math. But the problems that students are seeing are not on grade level. And when I ask teachers, what, did, you know, what are you working on? And they show me and it's not grade level. How do we help them make that shift? Because what they'll tell me is, oh, you know, they're they're just not ready for that. You know, the kids can't do that yet. So we decided to open up our conversation on the podcast to just put out our questions, a couple of solutions maybe. And so Jim's going to give me all the answers. That's where you come in, Jim. Right,
1: right. I don't have all the answers, but... um... I have a lot of questions. I know you do, too. I think this is really an interesting topic. I have talked with a friend about the topic of rigor. And to people outside of education, that is a weird word. You know, like, rigor, seriously? Like, he looks at me like I am from (laughs) another planet. And he often laughs at all the various words that we have in education. So
0: Rigor mortis.
1: Yeah, I think... um, I have an issue with some of our terminology and how we overuse it, but rigor. So how do we challenge students in schools? It is a really tough question. And I want to stress to our listeners that Tracy and I do this podcast partly because of our own professional learning. We get to come and listen to people talk about their experiences. We get to learn, hopefully take a little bit of what we learn into our own practice. So... This is our way to sort of explore a topic that we've both been wondering about. I um think that expectations have changed quite a bit, Don't you agree? Yes. in schools, so yes. like you know what a third grader is expected to do now is very different than what a third grader was expected to do to do ten years ago, twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and so I think for teachers who have been around for a long time, that's a little bit of a shock to think, oh, all of a sudden now. What a third grader was, what was acceptable for a third grader twenty years ago, is no longer acceptable for a third grader. Now I have to be teaching
0: to a much higher level. What do you think about that? It's true, and you know I've been around the business a while, so I've been in education now about thirty-two years, and with that in mind, I've seen a lot of those things change with the Leave No Child Behind, and then you have the you know different acts that have come since then that are intended to you know bring in. Uh, higher level and higher standards into the work that we do with students. What's difficult for me in in the addressing the rigor is um, is related to belief and mostly I work in high poverty schools and I have been in places where the teachers will say, "Well, the kids just can't do that." And they're well-meaning and they may want to make kids feel a little better and not defeated. But in the meanwhile, while they're holding kids at this other level, kids are not being challenged to the level that maybe they could be challenged. And they're not giving opportunities to really stretch to the level that they could. And in some ways, it's, it's sort of a form of of like low-incomeism because, oh, these poor kids, they just can't do it. And we mean well, but then it's like this stab in the back for for our kids because they just are not keeping up. And the longer they stay with us, the further behind they get because we just feel bad for the kids because they just can't do it. So how do we help these well-meaning teachers who are trying to be nice to kids and are trying to do what they think they can do, how do we get them to believe that it's possible. That's where we're stuck.
1: Right. Well, I think part of that comes from experiencing success. So once you experience a little bit of success and you see that it's possible, then you believe that it's going to be possible moving forward. So
0: it's that's challenging because you have to experience some success yeah. before you can <laughs> you have <to> believe <laughs> that that success is possible. Sometimes you have to try the hard thing and then actually have success in exactly. order to be able to get to that place.
1: <sighs> Tricky. So, um, I just read an article about the difference between caring about and caring for. Mm. And, um, I think that, um, as teachers, we care about our kids. We care about, their backgrounds. We care about their experience in schools. We want them to like school. We want them to, um, we want them to be successful yeah. adults. Yeah. That's different than caring for somebody and really making sure that that involves high academic. Standards Mm -hmm. and expectations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can care about something, but that's different than maybe the way that I care for my child, for instance, uh, or something that's very personal to me. So, I don't know how to shift that conversation from caring about kids to caring for kids in a way that really. Hold them to high expectations. That's the tricky yeah. part.
0: I'm thinking back to some things I've done before and I'm trying to find a way to make it happen again. I have a couple concerns about um, just some of the work that's going on in my school right now and, and including my own work that I know I need to challenge and raise my own level of rigor and expectations for staff and students alike. But in this previous school, I had Walked into a school that had been kind of historically underperforming, and in fact, they were on the edge of of being identified as a failing school. And these were some of the most caring people I had ever ever worked with before. And they just went out of their way to make sure kids had food and medical help and counseling and all kinds of support. So these were not a bunch of teachers who were just burned out and didn't care and weren't going to do you know what needed to be done. But the work was really focused on other areas than education and, and the academics. And, and that's, again, I'm not saying that these people are not doing reading and writing and math and everything they were, but they, there had been kind of this long-standing um, maybe erosion of, of what we thought kids could do and holding them to these higher standards. So in this school, what I did is I brought in some test scores from the previous year so I'd been at the school one year, so this was the second year. So I brought in some scores from a, a couple of teachers who had actually had some fantastic success and uh, told the teachers I was going to use their data but took out their name and took out any identifying information. And then I went to the faculty, and we spent time in the faculty, and I showed these these examples of data to the whole staff. And in, in that showing, I just said, I just, you know, I've, I've had to keep this private because it's, you know, private information and we can't share that out. But I said to this staff, I said, these results are from a school just like ours. You know, they have pretty similar demographics, pretty similar expectations using pretty much the same curriculum. And look at the level of success that this teacher is having. So it might have been a fifth grade teacher, for instance. And um, and these people were getting like 85-90% of their students to meet the, the state standards and to be proficient according to the end of level test. So in going through that, of course, most of the teachers in the room were not having that success. And maybe we're at half of that success, maybe a little closer for some. But really, we were at like 45, 50% of our of our kids making the success. But I did have like these three shining stars that were just doing amazing things. And of course, they were humble and didn't think it was really that much about them. But as I put that data up there and I just asked the staff, now, what do you think's going on that's different at this school? school, in this classroom, that this success is happening, where they've got 90% of the success and the kids are, you know, becoming proficient. And And so then we started unveiling, if you will, some of the belief systems that were happening at the time. So they said things like, well, they don't have as kids as tough as ours, or, you know, they probably have more kids who have two-parent families than we do, or, you know, they probably don't have as many ELL kids as we do, or, um, you know, we have kids that come straight from from Mexico, and, and they didn't, they probably don't even have, you know, Hispanic kids in their school. And I kept saying, no, actually, that's not true because I know this teacher, I know this school, and it's really pretty similar to ours. I think they have the same percentage uh, or maybe even a little bit more than what we've got and just kept going on and on. But you would hear, because they are trying to figure out why they were having more success, it was all of these other external factors, like, oh, you know, the kids aren't as poor or the kids' uh, parents do more homework with them. And it just came out all of the ways that the teachers were recognizing Or saying that they recognized it must be different because it was nothing that they were doing. It had to be all these other things like their parents or the neighborhood or their language or whatever. And then showed a second one, said the same story, showed the third one, showed the same story. And really all the same things kind of kept coming out over and over again. And then it was like the big unveil. And what I did is I said, well, the truth is these three classrooms are from our school with our students. And how is it that three of us can do this and not all of us? And what is it that we can do that can bring us to the place where we can all be this successful? Because we are all smart, capable people. We all mean well. We all want our kids to succeed. And I'm thinking back to that, that moment or that faculty conversation and it was kind of a turning point for a lot of people because here all along they were so convinced that there was some other magic that was going on in the success that they were seeing up on the screen and then it turned out it was somebody right in the room with them and why were they getting that success and 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 not themselves so it it brings up another interesting conversation is that all three of those teachers were unwilling to let me when I did the big unveil they were unwilling to let me say who they were which is something else we have to attack in education I think because people are so shy and people are so like oh no they're humble and I don't want to bring attention to myself why why is that why don't we stand up and and beat our chest a little bit and talk about how great we are Um, in education. Teachers have a very interesting take on um, being too arrogant or being too proud. What do you think about any of those things, Jim?
1: Well, I think one of the issues that came up for me while you were talking is the fact that um, I'm curious to to hear how those teachers responded. You said there was a little bit of a turning point. Um, I have found that test scores don't inspire a lot of teachers for some reason because mm-hmm. um well i think the reason is is we don't have an agreed upon way to measure growth mm-hmm. in education or proficiency in education because there's a lot of dispute out there about testing high stakes testing does it really measure what we wanted to measure and so You know, sometimes you present that data to teachers and they say, well, this just isn't important to me. This isn't why I went into education. And Mm -hmm. so I don't care about test scores. Mm -hmm. I'm working on other things and my kids know a lot and it doesn't show up in the tests. And so I don't know how to navigate that. That's really hard, I think, because until we come to some kind of agreement as an education Mm -hmm. community about Mm -hmm. what constitutes growth and proficiency, then we're always going to have this debate about, you know, are we doing the right things and is it making a difference? Because some people will say yes and some people will say no. So I just find that really interesting and I I don't know how to get beyond that. And it seems like we've been having that debate for a really long time. Um I about the issue of holding one another up, I I just think it's that caring thing. I think teachers invest so much in the profession. They mm-hmm. love their kids. They care about their kids and um, any sort of suggestion that maybe that isn't enough, that caring about mm-hmm. isn't enough, really causes defenses to flare up. And so um, it's very personal for teachers yeah. because they care about the kids so much. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why we get a lot of the defensiveness and unwillingness to accept when maybe our work isn't getting the results that we need it to get
0: yeah and and you and I talked about this a little earlier before we got on the on the talk about how sometimes people are not very truthful in the way that they're sharing their data and and so they recognize that it needs to appear a certain place but then they don't have maybe the confidence or they just don't want it to be evident uh, or they you know they They maybe are struggling and they don't know how to kind of make those changes. And so sometimes the numbers come in that might not be completely accurate. Um, I, I know that in my building I have a little of that going on. And uh, the best way for me to combat that is I am having to make sure that I'm showing up at certain times when assessments and the data tracking is taking place so that I, as an administrator, can um, recognize the, the positives and also see where we have some room to grow. And then when the numbers come in, it gives me sort of like clout to say, hmm, that's not, that's not what I saw. That's not exactly what I think is happening uh, but, but that's another interesting phenomena that the pressure that comes, but then the unwillingness to sort of like face the hard facts and have honest, authentic conversations where we need help. And to me, that boils down to my role as an administrator, that they don't feel comfortable or confident enough to talk to me about I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. This is my these are my numbers and and then really have that um kind of hard conversation about what's the next step. Some some have in in my case this year have come to me, but I know that there's a few there that in fact are just kind of mad at me because why would I ask them to do this data collection and why would I even think that they should be tracking these things because you know, we haven't had to do it before and we've been just fine. Well, no, not really, because actually the state has us on alert that we could be a failing school if we don't, you know, turn some things around. So it, I'm just talking out loud about some of the questions that, that I don't know how to tackle. And it's it's a little bit about our authentic, honest, tough conversations about data. It's a little bit about helping people see that the work they're putting in front of the kids is not rigorous enough to be able to have those kids perform at the end of level tests at at the right level. People will be surprised when they get to the end. They'll be like, oh, you know, I thought the kids were doing fine. And that's because really, truly, the teachers thought that they were pushing their kids so much that it it would have helped, but it, it just wasn't matching what the standards are. And in yourself, you know, you find yourself in different kind of leadership and coaching uh, roles, you know, do you, how do you handle those conversations yourself?
1: Yeah, i i I have always tried to create an environment where people felt safe to be able to try things and not like you know the data was going to be used against them. And i I think that I've never been successful with that. I think that that's a really hard thing to do because. For some reason, in educators' minds, mine included, there's this fear that data is going to be used against us, that we're going to get in trouble, that we're going to get fired. I think that there is more of a worry about that than is actual reality. So I think far fewer teachers end up losing their jobs or being penalized in any way because of data or how their students are performing than gets played out in schools. So I don't know how to, you know, we've I've been part of cultures where the principal has said, you know, transparent data is very important. We have to look at it. We have to talk about it. Um, we're going to support one another. And still there's this fear that if my data doesn't look as good as my partner teacher that I'm going to get in trouble. And I don't know how to get beyond that because I think, Successful cultures, business cultures, organizational cultures in our society Mm -hmm. are those that really promote Mm risk-taking and trying new things Mm -hmm. and thinking outside the box. You know, I think about companies like Google and Genius Hour that they've instituted, and it's all about prioritizing creativity. And um, I just don't know how to inspire educators to do that same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know that in our PLCs, we'll have those conversations or sometimes in faculty meeting or maybe data dives where we're digging into things. And then um, in, instead of saying, you know, I guess to people or pitying them or whatever, that their data is not there saying, okay, what can we do? What are some ideas? Let's brainstorm, and even pulling together other educators to do some brainstorming. And, and of course, there's this delicate balance of uh, providing support for people um, and and helping them without making them feel even worse about what they know is a challenging situation. So it's it's about being, I think, a leader in the building where you continually go back and say, "How can I help? What do you need?" Uh, having a coach that would come and give them some support and feedback and observations, and go through that cycle over and over again of of providing that uh, observation feedback and then trying new things. Um, so in some ways, you won't really. I guess for myself, I won't really get to a place where people are trusting until I dig deeper into that cycle of, of feedback. Um, it, it, but it's, it's an ongoing challenge for sure of how do we continue to raise the rigor and help people think, no, no, really they can do it. Um, and you can't prove it until they're willing to kind of jump off that cliff a little and say, okay, all right, I'll try." and Maybe after they make that leap, that's when we start collecting and seeing, look, there there is some evidence here. Look, at these kids are starting to make that progress.
1: Is there a way to tie the concept of rigor to something other than a test score? For example, you know, skills that people need in mm-hmm. the workforce mm-hmm. and critical thinking abilities that people need in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And maybe teachers could get more behind that than just raising a test score Mm -hmm. because our kids are going to need to be members of the workforce at some point and the workforce is going to increasingly demand that they be problem solvers Mm -hmm. and collaborators and thinkers and so Mm -hmm. that in and of itself changing that dynamic raises the rigor don't you think
0: yeah i think tying it into to authentic learning and tying it into sort of real world kind of places that we will go is definitely good, especially for the kids. I don't know for the teachers, because I think in some cases the teachers who think the kids can't do it that math problem in the classroom are also the same teachers who sometimes don't believe that that kid will be anything other than a garbage collector. And, and, and they say that with um, maybe even a little bit of contempt, right? Because they just don't think that that kid can do it. Um, so yes, I think that's a great, I think it's a great direction for us to head and it makes the reason we're learning much more powerful. Um, but, but it's a, it's just an interesting dilemma that we have in education. Um, and, and, you know, I was even thinking as you were talking a little bit about media and about how teachers and education is seen within our nation, within, uh, maybe our, our newspapers and even through our, the eyes of our government. And, uh, some of that is just the way that it, it's talked about in legislative sessions and in stories and what stories are shared. And, and people I think feel at times a little bit down or like, we're not doing our work sometimes well-deserved and sometimes not because because I think there's also a lot of really, really amazing things going on in education. So all around, uh, you know, we're don't mean it to be such a downer in our conversation but it's it's something we have to we have to dust off and we have to examine really closely because we will not get lasting change we will not make it so that we have our students making big growth until we put in front of them work that will challenge them uh, and, and earlier we were talking with a guest who talked about uh, you know, what about those highest kids, the kids that sometimes we just tend to forget?
1: Right. Yeah, I think um, I think we definitely can raise the rigor in our classrooms and in our schools. And I think part of the issue accompanying that is that we have to have better conversations about how do we scaffold this work for kids that might be having some other. Uh, holes in their educational mm-hmm. experience, in mm-hmm. their educational journey. Sometimes when I get a fourth grader or a fifth grader, right, they might not be able to um, enter into grade level work without some support because they're they missing some skills. So um, I think that's also part of the conversation is how do we best differentiate and scaffold the work in the classroom so that kids can... Achieve at those higher levels and also fill some of the gaps that that they come to us with.
0: So I'm going to have to go and look at my bookshelf and find any of those books that maybe I need to reread or find that talk about that rigor and talk about the way for us to... Um, take some big steps and and I'm even like right now flashing across my mind is the avid work that I've seen and that avid strategies and how that actually has made it possible for teachers to use a structure that forces them into this next level Um, and and people who are willing to take those you know, risks and try new things. Uh, kudos to them.
1: Maybe um, we need to interview somebody from Avid yes, or somebody exactly. with some experience in Avid. We do. Yeah, need I'm it. very curious to hear that. Um, yeah, this has been a good discussion. I think it's no easy answers, definitely. No.
0: And thank you so much, Jim, for just letting me kind of put it out there, too, and just say, what is the answer? What are the next steps? How do I help my teachers? Because I know that they really, really want what's best for their kids. They love their kids. They they want to do well, and they want their students to be successful. And somehow there's been this mismatch between what's, what kids are capable of and trying to help kids Um, be successful and then also oh I don't want those kids to feel bad or you know they're just not ready for that and there's a little bit of pity in there and a little bit of holding kids back because we don't believe so we'll leave it at that and we'll go and see if we can uncover some experts and maybe find some some texts or books or other resources out there and bring it back
1: What are your thoughts about rigor? We'd love to hear from you the listener Uh, you can comment or share some of your ideas at Little Things First, that's littlethings1st.com. Thank you so much for listening today, and we'll see you next time.
0: All right, bye bye. Mm-hmm.